So today is the feast day of Saint Jean Vianney, who is a very interesting saint because, uh, as I've said a couple of times, I'm generally not that impressed with super intelligent, super capable kind of theologian saints. I call this maybe a, a personal um, tendency of mine or a personal like or dislike of mine. Uh, I find people like who are super intelligent and have written all sorts of theological books, I can't relate to them. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, really glad he's there, awesome. But, um, uh, yeah, I can't imitate that. You know, St. Albert the Great or St. Augustine, these incredibly smart people. Um, I can't relate to saints like them. Uh, so when I read the, the, the life of, of St. Jean Vianney years ago, uh, I was very impressed by the fact that we have the patron saint of parish priests, a man who was academically... Well, he wasn't, he wasn't by any manner or means... Stupid is a strong word. He wasn't simple. He just, but academically, he wasn't strong, right? And he struggled. Uh, he grew up in a very, in a very uh, stormy time uh, in France. So born in 1786. And then at the time of the, the French Revolution, uh, obviously the, the, the revolutionaries were taking the land off uh, all of the, uh, the church, basically. So any religious institutions or uh, all of the orders and that. Uh, many priests were hunted down and killed. Priests had to do their work uh, in a very hidden way, hiding in barns and sheds and uh, traveling around and celebrating secret masses. It's similar enough to ourselves uh, in, in the penal times. And the, the penalty for celebrating mass was, was death. And there were a number of you know, decapitations. And the, 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 French, the famous French guillotine uh, used to decapitate you know, priests and, God help us, nuns and whoever else uh, might be practicing uh, overtly in a way that that, that that displeased the revolutionaries. Okay, <clears throat> so he lived in this, in this um, fearful time, a, a scary time for, for, for the church. But seeing these priests come and go and attending these secret masses really inspired Jean Vianney. He thought priests were heroes. He thought they were amazing. And to be honest, those who did serve the people that way, in fairness to them, what they did was heroic. I mean, I mean, if, if, if at any moment you could be betrayed, and this is, like again, similar to what happened in Ireland, one of the most painful things would have been to be betrayed by one of your own faithful, you know, someone who you, you arrange a mass in, 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 a, in a house or in a farm or wherever it is, and you turn up and different faithful come, and then one of them betrays you to the local authorities. And because of that, you're captured and you're flogged or you're thrown to prison or you're, you're killed, you're executed. Um, you know, like this, that constant fear of, of betrayal. So you're, you're trying to provide, you know, trying to, trying to give people access to the sacraments because you believe that these are, are a treasure worth giving. And those you're offering them to, a percentage of them may betray you. Like it's, 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 it's a, a very difficult thing to do because you say, look, what, what, this is so risky. This is just such a, a day, why not just leave it to others and me I'll head back to where I can practice my faith you know we'll leave this country and go somewhere else uh, but they didn't these these heroic priests they did stay and yeah many of them gave their lives but they were an inspiration to Jean Vianney who wanted to be a priest then from his early years but uh, in his studies he struggled especially with Latin his Latin was rubbish uh, so he, he he struggled with 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 uh, retaining or, or, or reading, speaking the Latin. And, but he persevered. 
and uh, he was ordained kind of, kind of late in life by their standards. He was ordained at 29 in uh, 1715, sorry, 1815, and uh, went on to serve. Now, a, a couple of interesting things, and one particular point I want to make today is that in that he was an exceptionally humble and prayerful man. And I think his, his lack of academic ability kept him that way. So it's interesting how that apparent uh, weakness became one of his greatest strengths. Because he knew that, I, you know, that there were plenty of people more capable than him, it kept him humble. St. Patrick was something similar. You know, he, he said, uh, I, Patrick, a sinner, and indeed unlearned or untaught. You know, he, St. Patrick apparently as well, he, well he, at least he said he struggled with, with his Latin. So these people, despite, in fact, maybe even because of these weaknesses, it allows them to count on the Lord more. Now, that's something we can all learn from. Recognizing our weakness, seeing our weakness, whatever that may be. You know, it might be a physical, maybe we're not as healthy as we'd like to be, or we've got some, some ailment. Uh, or maybe mentally we're just not as sharp or not as, we're having a, a, as good a memory or not as, as, as quick to understand things as others are. Or maybe spiritually we're just in a, a dark or a heavy place and prayer is just hard. It's just a bit of a slog trying to get through it. So in any of these areas where we feel our weakness, these can actually be our greatest areas, our, our greatest possibilities to grow in grace, to grow in virtue, our greatest openness to grace. Our weakness can be our greatest openness to God's grace. And that's such a blessing, such a gift. It's such a gift. Like in hindsight, it's such a gift. To be able to see, Lord, these, whatever weaknesses, now we're not talking about being actually sinful, you know, but, but a weakness, you know, some sort of a weakness. Where I say, Lord, because of this, I, I need you. And I, 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 I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your, your grace to get me through this. So he was appointed to Ars. There's a famous statue on the way to Ars where uh, Jean Vianney is, is leaning over to uh, a little boy and he, he asks the, the young fella, uh, so the legend goes, he says, well, wh where is the village of Ars? And uh, the little fella says, it's over here. You he says, you show me the way to Ars and I'll show you the way to heaven. You show me the way to Ars and I'll show you the way to heaven. So when he got to Ars, Ars was a small little village, small little farming village uh, where people, again, somewhat similar to our, ourselves back in the day, uh, the weather controlled everything. If the weather was good, then you had you know make hay while the sun shines. When the weather was good, you had to work night and day, day just to get your, 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 your harvest in. But because of that, mass attendance was poor. People would often work through Sundays or when festival season came around or the weather was slightly better, uh, dancing season, and one particular thing which Jean Vianney preached against an awful lot was dancing, the phenomenon of dancing. So he was very against dancing. And uh, not, uh, not because of the dancing itself, I think, but because of everything that was associated with the dancing. The dancing, there's nothing wrong with, with, it, with a little waltz. It's what happens after the waltz, I think, is the problem. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, he preached a lot against, against that, that kind of thing. And yeah, the taverns would be full on the weekends, but the church would be empty. And story goes that he prayed and prayed for years. And in around 
five, six years after he was appointed there, things hadn't changed a whole pile. And so he'd come into the church at night and he'd kneel there in front of the, the sanctuary and he'd pray, he'd pray his heart out for the conversion of his parish. And the story goes that a man, one of the men from the local tavern, passing, uh, coming from one of the local taverns, saw that there was some lights on in the church, some candles lit. And so he just kind of stuck his head in the door and he could hear Jean Vianney praying out loud. And he prayed, I will take any cross upon myself. I will take any suffering, but give me the souls of my parish. The guy stuck his head in the door and heard all of this. And that's a fairly impressive prayer. And he went back to the tavern and told the lads, lads, I think we have a holy pastor. And so people started to come back. The news spread that this guy was different, exceptional. And people started to come. Then people started to come from all around. And then he was working 11, 12, 13 hours a day in the confessional, plus then the celebration mass and meals and everything else that you have to do in a day. And uh, 20,000 pilgrims were coming a year within, within a short month's time. Uh, he was absolutely overworked, <laughs> underpaid, he, oh yeah, I remember reading that he, he used to live off, he'd, he'd cook potatoes like on a Monday and then have one on, the one on the Monday, one on the Tuesday, one on the Wednesday, one on the Thursday, one on the, you know, a boiled potato from four days ago. Anyway, there you go. Hence his somewhat um, thin demeanour. Uh, so, but he would, he would work so, so hard for love of his people. But all the while aware of his weakness, Right? So much so that it said that on four different occasions he wanted to flee ours. On four different occasions he wanted to go. He wanted to get out of there. On one occasion, uh, some of the, well, the, the clergy from the, the local parishes, they were just maybe irritated at his success. And all these pilgrims and all these nobles coming for advice and coming for prayer and for coming for healing and for confession. And so uh, they started a petition to have him ousted from ours. So various people signed it and various clergy signed it. And the Curie of Ars himself signed it. Yes, kick me out, please. <laughs> but Bishop didn't accept it. You're staying there. So he continued to serve in Ars. And I, I, I love that because it's, uh, you can kind of see the heart of the man. You know what I mean? He gets all the success and, 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 and fame. But it's like, that's not what, I, that's not what I, I didn't do that. I didn't become a priest for this reason. I'm, a, I'm glad people are coming, but that's, that's not why I wanted to do, to do this. I just want to serve my people. I want them to, be, to become saints. Uh, this is all a bit, bit too much, like a thrust into clerical stardom, if we can call it that. Um, it's not what he wanted. And so he wanted to leave. And it reminds me of uh, a book called Divine Renovation by Father James Mallon. And he spoke about this uh, sad phenomenon in the church where in his experience, him being one of the, the priests of the John Paul II generation, you know, this, the, the, these priests who came out on fire with love for the church and love for Our Lady and wanted to see, you know, conversions and, and the new evangelization and so on and so forth. But just real zealous priests. And then they were met with, as he described it, the brick wall of the parish. That's not how we do things here, Father. And, you know, that's kind of it then. Any of your novel ideas for adoration or prayer or whatever else you want to do with young people or old people or retired people or 
that's not how we do things here, Father. Uh, so, and he said that this can, can lead to a very sad situation of priests giving up but staying at their post. Giving up but staying at their post. So they remain in the priesthood, they remain in their parish, they remain wherever, the, wherever the, the, they were stationed, but there's no zeal, no life, no enthusiasm. They're just checking in and checking out. Every day, just check in, celebrate Mass, and check out. So you've given up, but you've stayed at your post. So what, what you're left with then is this kind of a, a sad shell of the priesthood, where the priesthood isn't, isn't so much a father anymore, but just a, a liturgical functionary, just celebrates the, the various liturgies, and then it's gone. And even the celebration of the liturgies isn't very heartfelt either. So I was just com- comparing that like to to Jean Vianney, who actually did want to leave, but was fulfilling his, his duties in, in, in a heroic fashion. This is the example, for, for, I think for me, such a wonderful example of priesthood, where he doesn't feel worthy of, of his vocation, doesn't feel maybe even capable, but he wants to love the Lord and serve the Lord in all he does. He wants those entrusted to his care to love the Lord. He wants his whole life to be oriented towards the Lord. And that's why he's such a wonderful example to priests. He died um, relatively young. He had driven himself into the ground, really. He had worked himself so hard. But a prayer of his, which is one of the most famous prayers that he wrote. It's very, very simple, but describes his heart, describes the heart of this priest. So we'll finish today with with that, praying for all of our own priests as well in our own parishes at home. We pray for that missionary zeal, for that fire, that enthusiasm, that love for the Lord is so great that it overflows from our hearts into the hearts of others. We're called to be fathers. We're called to be fathers. So we pray for that that fatherly heart. That the Father's love might flow into us from his heart and out of us into the hearts of those that rely on us. Saint Jean Vianney prays. I love you, O my God, and my only desire is to love you until the last breath of my life. I love you, O my infinitely lovable God, and I would rather die loving you than live without loving you. I love you, Lord, and the only grace I ask is to love you eternally. My God, if my tongue cannot say in every moment that I love you, I want my heart to repeat it as often as I draw breath. Amen.